Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name's Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, Phil Lamaster is a pastor in Tennessee, and he shares the story of how one time he was going through an incredibly busy season of ministry, just a jam-packed season of ministry. Uh, to start with, um, he had recently accepted the assignment as the senior pastor of a large congregation that had just erected a massive building, this state-of-the-art facility, this modern facility, and it resulted in major debt. And so Phil, when he began this new job, he felt a sense of duty, obligation to help that congregation pay off the debt and to get to a better place, a healthier place financially, a more sustainable place financially. So he immediately hit the ground running. He was working as hard as he possibly could. He was literally in meetings from morning until evening. Well, because of all that, he wasn't spending as much time as he should have been with his family. And so one night, he was at home with his family, and they were having dinner together. And his plan was, after dinner, to go back to the church campus and head to another meeting. But after dinner was over, before he got in the car to go, he decided to read his two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Mandy, a bedtime story. And so Phil was sitting in a recliner in the living room, and Mandy was on his lap with the book. But he wasn't sitting in a relaxed position with his back up against the recliner. Instead, he was sitting on the very edge of the seat. You ever done this before? Sitting on the very edge of the seat, just ready to jump up as soon as the story was over, get in the car, and go to that meeting. Mandy, though, astutely called out her father's behavior. And again, she was just two and a half years old. She gently patted the seat of the recliner, and she said to her father, Scoop back, Daddy! Scoop back! When I came across that story a few days ago, I immediately thought of the sermon series that we're journeying through on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, or as Catholics call it, the Our Father, <clears throat> but the Lord's Prayer is a remarkable prayer, as we've established over the last few weeks. It's this incredible prayer, this amazing prayer that was given to us by Jesus, the Son of God, as a way to strengthen our faith, deepen our connection with the very one who made us. And yet, instead of slowing down in cherishing this prayer, carefully meditating on the words that we're saying, we just quickly rush through it, don't we? I do this, I'm sure you've done this. We just rush through it in our effort to get to the very next thing. And so inspired by that story I just shared about Mandy, our aim in this sermon series is to scoop back. Can you say those two words with me? Scoop back. Our aim in this sermon series is to scoop back. In other words, folks, let's relax. Let's pump the brakes. Let's slow down and fully appreciate the beauty of the Lord's Prayer. In doing this, I believe we will come to better understand and comprehend the words of this prayer. And so we're going to start this message as we've done the last couple of weeks. We're going to start today by reciting the Lord's Prayer together. So whether you're here in the sanctuary or worshiping from home, 
uh, I encourage you at this time to pray this prayer with me aloud. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, to catch us up, just to make sure that we're all on the same page, in the first week of the series, uh, we looked at the opening line of the Lord's Prayer. This was in the inaugural message. We talked about that opening line, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then last Sunday, the second week of the series, we talked about the very next line, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, taken together, these two lines that we've talked about so far contain six parts. How many parts? Six parts. Number one, our Father. Number two, who art in heaven. Number three, hallowed be thy name. Number four, thy kingdom come. Number five, thy will be done. And then finally, number six, on earth as it is in heaven. Six parts. These six parts as a whole comprise the first half of the Lord's Prayer. The first half of the Lord's Prayer. And if we look carefully, we'll notice that the first half of the Lord's Prayer is all about God and the glory of God. Our Father, who art in heaven. That's how we address God, isn't it? That's how we speak to God. Hallowed be thy name. That's the first petition. The first thing that we're requesting God to do. We're requesting that God would hallow his name, make his name holy. Help us recognize as human beings the holiness of God's name, who God is in and of himself. Thy kingdom come. That's the second petition. We're asking God to send his kingdom. Thy will be done. That's the third petition. We're asking God to accomplish his will, his purposes on earth as it is in heaven. So again, the first half of the Lord's Prayer, it's about addressing God, and it's about the things that we want God to do, the things that we want God to accomplish for God's sake. Well, in the second half of the Lord's Prayer, there's a shift, and the petitions, in other words, the things that we're asking God to do, the petitions begin focusing on what we want God to do for who? For us. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So at this point, the Lord's Prayer is still about God. The whole prayer is about God. But in particular, it's about what we want God to do for us as human beings, how we want God to respond to us, how we want God to interact with us. And we're going to spend the next few weeks in worship unpacking the significance of the second half of the prayer. And specifically this morning, we're going to talk about that petition, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? I mean, all we're asking for is bread. But what exactly are we asking for when we ask that God would give us this day our daily bread? I mean, for example, are we expecting that because we've said this prayer in worship this morning, that when we go home later today, that bread is suddenly going to be on our table 
out of thin air. Granted, God worked that way in the story of the children of Israel in the desert uh, with the manna that God provided, and we'll talk more about that later, but God doesn't typically work that way today. So what are we asking for then when we ask God to give us this day our daily bread? Well, as we dive into this conversation, uh, I want to begin by recognizing that there is a single word, just one word in this petition upon which the whole petition hangs. In fact, I would go so far as to say that if we don't understand this word, we're not going to understand this petition. It's the Greek word epiousios. Folks, can you say this with me? Epiousios. Let's say this once more. Epiousios. Now you all are Greek scholars. Don't you feel good about that? Epiousios. Keep in mind that the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in what language? Hebrew. New Testament was written in Greek. There's some Aramaic in there, but primarily in Greek. Epiousios is a Greek word that only shows up two times. Just two times in the entire New Testament. Both of those times are in the Lord's Prayer because the Lord's Prayer shows up twice in the Gospels. It shows up once in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 6, as part of the Sermon on the Mount. And then it also shows up, Epiusios does, in the Lord's Prayer as we find it in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 11. doesn't show up anywhere else in the whole New Testament. Nowhere else. Which makes it, and those of you who have done the work of translation before, it makes it a hard word to translate because when you're translating words into other languages, and again, those of you who have done this work, you know this to be true, it's helpful to know how that word is used in various contexts. Now, usually when we translate this word, we translate it as daily. Give us this day our daily bread. Daily is an adjective used to describe the bread that we're asking God for. We're not just asking God for any ordinary bread. We're asking God for a daily bread. But as scholars who have done this work have pointed out, even daily is not a great translation. Daily does not capture the essence of this word. Some words are hard to translate, aren't they? I'm reminded of when I was a kid growing up, for the longest time, uh, my grandparents, uh, my dad's parents, uh, both of them have passed away in recent years, but um, when I was a kid growing up, uh, they lived up in Ashtabula, Ohio, and they would host exchange students in their home. Uh, they did this up until they got to be older, but they would host these exchange students, and the exchange student would always be from Slovakia. Uh, my grandfather's side of the family, uh, they're Slovakian, Czechoslovakia, and so he would um, host a Slovakian student in the home as a way of honoring and celebrating his cultural background. And my grandmother very much enjoyed that too. And I remember when I was 14 years old, they had an exchange student whose name was Eric. Uh, again, I was 14. Eric was about 17. He was a few years older than I was. He was a senior in high school. And Eric, as I recall, he was really smart, incredibly bright, intellectually gifted, and he spoke perfect English. But because English was not his first language, every once in a while he would come across a word or a phrase and he didn't know what it meant. And he would ask for clarification. So one time my uncle Randy, who lives in California, he was visiting his parents, my grandparents, and he was out with Eric somewhere. 
and they were crossing a busy street, and there was a car coming, and Eric was moving rather slowly, and so my uncle looked at Eric, and he said, come on, Eric, there's a car coming. We got to go. Let's not diddly-daddly. Eric looked at my uncle, and fortunately by this point, he had already crossed the road as the car was coming by, but he just stopped dead in his tracks, and he said, what is this? What is this diddly-daddly? How do you translate diddly-daddly from one language into another? Well, you could say what it means. It means pick up the pace. Don't move slowly. Come on, let's move quickly. But even so, some words are hard to translate. This word, epiousios, it is a difficult word to translate. Now, epiousios is actually comprised of two Greek words. Epi, which means on or upon or in, and then usia, which means essence or substance. And so when we take epi and usia and we combine them together, smash them together, it literally means in essence or in substance. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? To put it simply, when we pray this petition, we're asking God to give us the essential bread, the necessary bread, the bread that is needed to exist and maintain our lives. And folks, here's the really good news. Most of us already have this bread. Most of us already have this bread. For example, if I were to go to your house today and look inside your kitchen and go to your pantry, my assumption is, and again, this is my assumption, but my assumption is that your pantry would be full that you would have food inside your pantry. And perhaps you don't have food inside your pantry because you haven't gone to the grocery store, but you probably have the funds available to you to go to the grocery store and fill your pantry. We don't have to worry where our next meal is coming from. And yet the sad reality is, and you already know this, not everybody is as fortunate, are they? Which is why the words us and our and this petition are so incredibly important. Give us this day our daily bread. Not give me this day my daily bread, but give us this day our daily bread. In other words, we're not just praying this prayer for ourselves, we are praying this prayer for other people, especially those, including those who have little to nothing. I believe we have these words up here in the monitor. We are praying this prayer for others, including those who have little to nothing. And furthermore, since God's typical way of working in the world is through people, through everyday people like you and like me, the onus is on us, the responsibility is on us to share our bread with those who don't have very much bread. And what I want to do for just a few moments is I want to highlight some of the ways in which we do this here at Asbury United Methodist Church. Perhaps you're already aware of these things, but I'm going to draw them to your attention um, and this is not an exhaustive list that I'm going to share. These are just some of the ways in which we offer bread. We have our blessing bags. How many of you are familiar with our blessing bags? Okay, some of you are. Our blessing bags are put together by our United Methodist men. Uh, what our United Methodist men do so well is they take these bags and they fill them up with food like granola bars and things like that. Along with other essentials, we take those bags and we pass those bags out to needy people whom we come across in our community. In fact, we encourage you to keep a blessing bag in your car so if you're 
on the road, you're stopped at the red light, you see somebody asking for assistance, you could take that blessing bag and give it to that individual. We have blessing bags. We also have our red bags. If you don't know what our red bags are, simply stop by our office. We will give you a red bag. What you do is you take the red bag and you go to the grocery store, you fill the red bag up with groceries, and then we take those groceries and we donate them to a food pantry at a local elementary school so that kids in our community and their families might have something to eat. We also have a relationship with our local publics up on, up on uh, 1792. And so if somebody comes to our office looking for assistance, uh, we won't give that person cash, but we'll say to that person, go to Publix, buy whatever you need. Uh, this excludes alcohol and cigarettes and things like that, but you know, buy some groceries, buy some essentials, and we will cover the cost up to a certain amount. Your generosity to Asbury, your giving to Asbury makes all of this possible. It helps people to become the thriving human beings that God wants them to be. And so again, when we pray this prayer, we don't just pray it for ourselves, we pray it for other people, including those, especially those who don't have very much, and we properly recognize that we're God's answer to the prayer that we're making, that God wants to use us to meet their needs. 700 years before Jesus, uh, the prophet Isaiah, who was a great prophet, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah raised this question. What kind of fasting does God want? What is fasting? Well, fasting is a spiritual discipline in which we purposely abstain from food so that we can devote more energy and attention to God. What kind of fasting does God want? Isaiah asked that question. Check out how God responds. This is Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 and 7. This is the kind of fasting I want, God says. Let's say this next part together. Share your food with the hungry. What kind of fasting does God want? Share your food with the hungry. Praying the Lord's Prayer means nothing if we're not going to share our food with the hungry. And not just our food, but other essentials. Backpacks, school supplies, toiletries. That's why we take outreach so seriously as a congregation here at Asbury. We rightly recognize that God invites us, God calls us, God encourages us to be generous toward others, to share our resources with others. Give us this day our daily bread. This petition reminds us, as we've established, of our charge to share bread, but also reminds us of something else, not to ask for more than what we need. And let's be real, this is a struggle for us. It's a struggle for me. I'm sure it's a struggle for you too. It's a struggle for us here in America because we've been conditioned and brought up in a culture where we are constantly acquiring more than what we need. We're acquiring more than what we need is the norm. It's what's expected. Earlier this week, I came across a 2009 New York Times Magazine article. And this article reported on the following statistics for the U.S self-storage business. Uh, these stats are up here in the monitor. I invite you to read these with me. Again, these stats are from 2009, so they are a bit dated, uh, but hopefully, or I imagine, that this information is still pretty relevant. The United States, as of 2009, has 2.3 billion square feet of self-storage space. That's more than seven square feet 
for every man, woman, and child. It is now physically possible that every American could stand all at the same time under the total canopy of self-storage roofing. The United States has upward of 51,000 storage facilities, more than seven times the number of Starbucks. And we love our Starbucks, don't we? As a culture, we do. I also believe that this is more than the number of McDonald's that we have, and so that's saying something. By the early 1990s, Americans had, on average, twice as many possessions as they did 25 years earlier. So don't go criticizing your parents or grandparents. We have more possessions today uh, than they did back then. 50% of storage renters store stuff that wouldn't fit in their homes, even though the size of the average American home has doubled in the last 50 years. One more. 15% of customers told the Self-Storage Association that they were storing items they no longer need or want. I have two words for these folks. Yard sale. (laughs) We are drowning in stuff. Stuff that we don't need. For the most part, we have more than what we need. I have more than what I need. You have more than what you need. We have food. We have clothing, we have shelter, we have income. Our problem is that we haven't embraced the spiritual value of contentment. The Apostle Paul, uh, one of the major writers of the New Testament, uh, Paul knew a thing or two about contentment because of some of the difficult situations that he was in over the course of his life because he was a follower of Jesus. Well, check out what Paul writes to his student Timothy. Uh, This is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, Verses 6 through 8, Paul says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. There are no U-Hauls, as somebody has said, attached to a hearse. Or as John Orberg once put it, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. So, if we have enough food and clothing, let us be what? Let us be content. That's the phrase that we hold on to as we pray this petition, give us this day our daily bread. We're not asking God to give us the world. We're not asking God to give us the universe. We're asking God to give us the basic necessities. And then from there, if we have a surplus, which many of us do, stewarding that surplus appropriately, responsibly, so that we can help and bless others. As John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, said, we earn all that we can, we save all that we can, so that we can do what? Give all that we can. Give us this day our daily bread. This petition speaks into the physical realm, but it doesn't only speak into the physical realm. It also speaks into the spiritual realm, the eternal realm, that through Jesus, the Son of God, the bread of life, we receive the bread that we crave and the depth of who we are. John chapter 6 contains one of my favorite stories in the Bible. In fact, it's the only miracle story that is found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you know what miracle story is found in all the Gospels? It's the feeding of the 5,000. That's what you were going to say, right? The feeding of the 5,000. 
In John 6, uh, the Apostle John tells us that Jesus feeds a crowd of 5,000 men. He specifies that they were men, which means that there were more people than 5,000. When you take women and children into account, the crowd probably had anywhere from 10 to 12,000 people, maybe as many as 15,000 people, this massive amount of people. Jesus feeds them all miraculously with a few loaves and a few fish. Well, after Jesus feeds them, Jesus reminds the crowd of the real bread that they should be pursuing. This is from John 6, verses 32 to 35. Jesus said, and he's speaking to the crowd here, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. He's talking here about the manna. Uh, we talked about this a few moments ago, that when the children of Israel were in the desert, the wilderness, that God offered manna to them, that this manna appeared on the dry ground and they were able to eat it. Jesus is saying, Moses didn't give your ancestors that bread. Who gave it to them? My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Just hear the desperation in their voices. Give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am. This is one of seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. It's the first I am statement that appears. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus isn't talking about literal bread. He's talking about spiritual bread. He's not talking about the temporal. He's talking about the eternal. He's not talking about the finite. He's talking about the infinite. That should you and I come to Jesus and allow Jesus to flood our lives with meaning and purpose and wholeness, then that ache that we feel in the depth of who we are for more that ache that we try to fill with so many things like, like money or sex or pleasure or power or our careers, even though money and sex and pleasure and power and our careers can fill it, can satisfy it, that should we come to Jesus, that ache won't be there anymore. Because we will have aligned ourselves with the only one, the only one who can give rest to our restless hearts. Jesus the Christ, the bread of heaven, the one who has come down to give life to us all. I love how C.S. Lewis, many of you recognize that name, um, C.S. Lewis, the great 20th century lay theologian, he said it like this, I believe that this quotation is from his book, Mere Christianity. The Christian says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger while there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim while there is such a thing as water. Human beings feel sexual desire while there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. 
that real thing that C.S. Lewis is talking about, that real thing is not actually a thing. He's a person. Jesus the Christ, the bread of heaven, the bread of life. Here's my question for you. Have you feasted on that bread? I remember when I was 11 years old and a rising sixth grader, it was my very first night of middle school youth group. Oh my goodness, I was so excited. I had been waiting for it for such a long time to finally be out of elementary school and to be with the older kids, to be in middle school youth group. Youth group at that time for middle school students in the church that I grew up was on Friday nights. Well, it had been a busy Friday, just all kinds of activities. And so in my effort to get the youth group on time and not to miss anything, I ended up skipping dinner that evening. So I came home from youth group, and my mom was in the living room, and she asked me how it was. Did you enjoy it? And I said, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And then she said to me, well, didn't you miss dinner tonight? I mean, it's 8.30 right now. You haven't had a meal since lunchtime. You must be pretty hungry. Aren't you hungry right now? And I said, well, I was hungry, but I was enjoying the discussion at youth group so much that I guess I forgot that I hadn't eaten pretty unusual for a middle school boy to forget that he hadn't eaten, isn't it? I'll never forget what my mom said to me. She looked at me and she said, Christopher, my mom always called me Christopher. Christopher, it sounds like you had the kind of bread that really matters. It sounds like you had the kind of bread that really matters. As human beings, we are made for physical bread, there's no doubt about that. But we're also made for spiritual bread, eternal bread. Feast on Jesus, the bread of heaven, the bread of life. I promise you, I promise you, you will always be satisfied. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Oh God, you are so good to us. You meet our physical needs, but you don't just meet our physical needs. You also meet our spiritual needs. In Jesus, you have given us life and salvation and forgiveness of sin. We will never fully comprehend all that you have done for us. God, I pray that if there's anybody here in worship right now who hasn't yet, feasted on the bread of Jesus, who hasn't yet come to Jesus and said, I yield my life to you. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Please, God, by your Holy Spirit, encourage that person to do so. Thank you, God. Thank you for everything. Help us to be generous with our resources and to live as your people in this world. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.